This podcast is an audio recording of a live event. It may reference visual material that cannot be represented in this recording. It may also contain strong language and adult themes. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ACME. My name is Natasha Gadd and I'm the um, Public Programs Manager here at ACME. I'd like to thank our wonderful event partner, Film Victoria, for their support in putting on this event today. It's been really wonderful to offer representatives such as yourselves a day of VR experiences and demos and and talks um, and workshops. And I'd also like to thank our sponsors, HTC Vive and NVIDIA. I'd now like to hand over to our moderator, Astrid Scott, Senior Producer and Strategist, ABC Research and Development, to introduce our panel. So I'm here hosting the panel today from ABC Research and Development, and uh, the reason I'm I'm doing that is because R&D are responsible for looking at the medium-term impact of technology on both the media and also Australian audiences more broadly. Um, We became very interested in the uh, what virtual reality was going to be and what it was doing two or three years ago. And we started making some small experiments with VR last year. So one of those was a, um, a short documentary about a um, Queensland rodeo bronc rider, actually. <laughs> but um, we – obviously um, now VR is having a, a moment, a very big moment. There's a lot of interest and there's, you know, we've got a, a panel of industry experts right here – proving that it's more than just a fleeting thing. Um, The ABC isn't currently producing and commissioning VR. However, we are very, very closely monitoring its development. We we feel like it's part of a much bigger development, and and it's important to note that, that the move to immersive entertainment experiences is something that is on its way and we can't look away from. We inch closer and closer to more tech-enabled homes filled with smart objects and sensors and more autonomous vehicles which have immersive experiences inside of them. So that that's becoming the new normal. We're going to look at we, – we're going to be looking five to ten years out, which is what R&D's um, job is, and we're going to see that the, the world of entertainment and information is completely – you know, some of the things will be the same. We'll still have film. We'll still have, you know, documentary. We'll still have fantastic um, screen-based experiences, but we're also going to have more than that, and we're going to have it in completely new areas. So for us as content makers and for you as content makers, um, it's really important to start thinking about the opportunities that that gives us and what it's going to bring to our industry. So we've got this fantastic panel of industry experts here today to talk to you. Um, And it's actually a brilliant representation, I have to say. (laughs) I would start with um, Scott Van Dockeler here from Zero Latency. which uh, Scott will tell you all about what they do shortly. Then I've got Katie Morrison from Vertov, who are based here in Melbourne. Um, Emre Candines, who's from Opaque Media Group. And James Boyce from Grumpy Sailor down the end there. I'm not going to introduce them all. What I'm going to ask each of them to do is kind of tell you how they're part of the VR industry and tell you a little bit about what it is that they're doing. So maybe we could start with you, Scott. Okay, cool. Uh, thanks very much. Uh, yeah, my name is Scott Van Donkler. I'm from Zero Latency. Uh, so what we do is uh, is a bit different to uh, to a lot of other companies. We've created our own virtual reality platform, which is uh, what we refer to as free roam virtual reality. Uh, the idea is that um, similar to anyone, who, if you've tried out the uh, the Vibe or something like that downstairs, 
Um, what we try and do is do that on a much larger scale. So we have a, uh, a warehouse in North Melbourne, which is about 400 square meters of space. And you can freely walk around that entire warehouse inside virtual reality, which is a, a really, really great way to get deeply immersed in the content, just get completely lost in it. And um, it gives us some great flexibility of what we can do to people's experience while they're in there as well. Um, we do that as multiplayer. So we have more than one person in the experience. They can see each other and interact with each other as well. Um, so that's that's what we're working with. We've got uh, we've got one site here in uh, in Melbourne. We're also setting up around the world. We're setting up more of these uh, these warehouse style uh, installations where people can come and play our VR experiences and the different content that we're working on. Um, yeah, but uh, we we started about about four years ago now. About this time last year, we had about eight employees, and now we're up to about thirty five. So uh, yeah, we're growing pretty rapidly, and we're just going to keep on keep on expanding but uh but yeah it's a it's a different sort of take on vr it's very much an out of home experience it's uh it's similar to what you think of like going to the cinema or something like that uh to experience virtual reality it's um it's not something that we we plan on putting in someone's home but uh who knows but who knows it's got yeah. all those sensors all those <laughs> smart fridges that you can yeah well <laughs> you don't want to run into things but um hmm. thanks scott world domination from scott um, <laughs> <laughs> next up we've got katie from vertob yeah that's right so i my name is katie morrison i am the producer at vertov um we are a virtual reality production studio probably quite similar to an indie production studio of any kind of stripe, you know. So we are we, we make content, we make narrative virtual reality content um, the same way that you if you were an indie film company you would make you would make your film content. So we work um, a lot for um, people who might be coming from the more traditional kind of media industries um, as our clients. We've just done a couple of projects for the BBC. Um, one of which was a VR documentary about the Irish uprising and the other of which was a VR fairy tale. Um, so we do both documentary and um, and fiction content as well. Um, I guess if we, I was to kind of classify what we do, it is that we work in interactive real-time virtual reality. Um, we don't make 360 video, um, although there are some people here on the panel who do. And um, and we can talk maybe a little bit later on about the, about the two kind of pathways for producing VR um, we started our company after making our first piece in 2013. I just kind of want to highlight, like, actually this panel is pretty awesome because, <laughs> you know, the VR industry itself has is kind of quite nascent, right? And there are a lot of people kind of flooding into the into the space right now. But we've got people who are here who have been working in it for, you know, for as long as it has been in its kind of current incarnation. And I think that's a really kind of says something about Melbourne to me that, um, that some of the companies um, – that are local and homegrown have been doing it for so long and been very successful. So, yeah. Yep. World domination starts in Melbourne. <laughs> it <Yeah>. does. Emre. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so continuing the theme of world domination, um, <laughs> Opaque Media Group originally started with um, empathic learning tools that were set in virtual reality um, and we're working with motion map controllers before motion map controllers existed using the Kinect, basically. So we started with a project um, after the virtual dementia experience. Um, and for, for those of you that don't know, it's essentially um, an experience that allows you to have um, an empathic understanding of what it's like to live with dementia by manipulating um, visual feedback, so what you see inside of this environment to match that um, with the symptoms of living with dementia. And that obviously received um, a significant amount of attention and it was de developed with uh, Alzheimer's Australia, who were downstairs today as well. And 
that allowed us to essentially build the foundations and groundwork of uh, VR development and AR development as well. And we created a, um, a game called Earthlight, which we are currently working on as well in collaboration with NASA and other space agencies. Um, and that allows a player to experience what it's like um, to undertake the journey of being an astronaut. So going from the neutral buoyancy laboratory to um, essentially uh doing missions on the International Space Station going 27,000 kilometers per hour around the Earth. So um, we've been working with VR since essentially all the dev kits were available. Um, our staff originally was working out of a small office um, that was the size of a cupboard uh, that always overheated. Um, and now we have a staff of about, I think, like 15 or 16, maybe 17 people. It kind of changes depending on the season. Um and we're working on a number of exciting projects. So we work with Microsoft, Epic, Google. Uh, we work with Vi um, the HTC on, on their Vive and incubator programs. Um, and we've started sending teams off um, to uh, conduct projects in Taipei, in Los Angeles, um, in yeah, a range of things like VR games, VR film production, um, technology um, research and development. Yeah. So don't worry too much if all of that is sounding a little scary. We'll get into some of the things you need to know shortly. But... I think it's clear that Emro's not happy with world domination. He wants interstellar domination <laughs> and he's going into space. So, James, Sydney, you better come to the party. <laughs> yeah, that sounds incredibly cool. Um, I, I, um, my name is James. Um, I'm pretty humbled to be asked to come on an expert panel because I don't really see myself as an expert um, in anything. Um, I, uh, I run a company called Grumpy Sailor. It's always very difficult to describe what we do. Um, we are an, we've got a line that we say, but I don't think it really adequately sums up what we, do. we are. We're an agile um, uh, creative laboratory that uh, operates at the nexus of uh, design, technology and story. Um, we were incubated through Google's Creative Lab five years ago out of Sydney and um, we essentially play with fringe technologies and um, we look for opportunities where story and design can come together to pull those those technologies out and find um, alternative uses, whether they be to entertain somebody or to solve a particular problem. Um, that's kind of what we do. So we have um, a multidisciplinary team of uh Writers, filmmakers, designers, developers, uh, producers, uh, production managers. We've got very weird kind of psychology people that work with us. We've got, um, and we've recently started to dabble in VR and 360. Um, we've been playing with it for, um, or testing it and, and poking it and prodding it for quite some years. And we're, we're actually finding some really interesting uses for it that we potentially uh, uh, hadn't seen um, before. So, Could you yeah. give us an example of something like that? Um, we've just launched an installation downstairs, actually, um, uh, with um, some collaborators called Sandpit and um, Google's Creative Lab. And uh, it's a project called Ghosts, Toast and Things Unsaid. And it was a... It was actually a theatre production that we put on, which was absolutely bonkers um, at uh, Adelaide F Fringe Festival, and um, it, uh, it it involved. <laughs> it's going to be really hard to explain. It involved um, you're one of two audience members. You walk into the play. It's in the round. Um, there are th 
six actors um, who are moving around that stage. When you're standing in the middle, you're wearing a ghost costume on your head and whenever you look at somebody, you're able to hear their inner thoughts. So we built this calibration tool, um, which was essentially a, a phone in the small of somebody's neck um, with earphones. And whenever you looked at somebody, depending on the sort of, um, it was all it was all crafted almost like a, a a ballet. And as you look at somebody, you were able to see, um, what, or you were able to hear what they were thinking. Um, this whole thing translated beautifully into um, VR, and Acme commissioned an installation for us to put downstairs. It's a really um, uh, interesting uh, execution I think I think bonkers is an important part of any uh, you know interstellar domination plan you know? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, what other kind of I guess you know a lot of people are trying to get their head around the, the form itself and watching the medium evolve rather than you know let alone knowing how to produce you know a piece of VR content so I was gonna um, get you to say what do you think that people um, should know about what virtual reality actually is? What's their kind of essential glossary for understanding virtual reality as a medium? Um, yeah, do you want to start, um, Scott? Uh, yeah, I guess the, so. there's a fair few, I think, forms of virtual reality going around. Um, and the main difference between the two is uh, it's like, kind of like you touched on. We have uh, like 360 videos and things like that where you, put, uh, you could use Google Cardboard or something to that, that effect uh, to watch a video. And then there's also the actual um, sort of like full 3D, uh, more immersive kind of things like um, like what you'd use in the the HTC Vive and things like that. And I think both of those those platforms have uh, all those two kind of mediums. Both have uh, the different advantages and disadvantages. Uh, obviously, the 360 video is really great if you want to sort of feel what it's like at another real place and you want to do actually sort of live filming and things like that. So. Um, I think it would depend on what you're trying to convey as to which platform might be best. Uh, yeah, there's and there's also the portability of using something like cardboard. It's very very easy to access. Anyone who has a phone can uh, can use it. So, um, what does VR mean for gaming, though? Like, you know, for what you're talking about, like, is there essential things people need to know about? Um, I think for gaming, it's um, it's like an amplification of of games in the past. So a lot of people play games. Obviously, in the past, always sitting at a computer, always seeing it on a screen, and then actually being actually being immersed in that content, feeling like you're actually you are actually inside the game. Because when you look around, no matter where you turn, you just see you just see the game world. Um, that actually evokes much stronger emotions and everything from the players inside the experience. You could take someone through a game which they take the exact same game as as it was played out on a screen and put it inside VR, and everyone will react uh, much differently. Um, that's one of the things we've definitely found. So, um, some of the things that we've tried in our experiences are obviously, um, we have a zombie experience, so we're playing on, on fear quite a bit, but, uh, but we also, we do a few things inside that experience and it's amazing how people react to something which typically could be a little bit, maybe, maybe boring or mundane and maybe in a normal game, they wouldn't even notice, but it becomes, it becomes far more interesting. Um, kind of more, yeah, more like real life rather than the, the typical high expectations people have on a on a sort of a two D medium. I mean, theatre obviously um, is you know r related in some ways to what um, Scott's saying, James. Do you have any kind of thoughts I, on that? Uh, Scott, I think it's interesting that you use the word experience, and I think that that's a really important a distinction to make between this and cinema. I don't think. Um, there is a there is a whole glossary of terms that as soon as you start 
playing in this space you learn um and then they're not the same and it's really important that we don't look at this as cinema because it's never going to be cinema i think it's probably got a closer relationship like you say to theater um particularly around 360 film um which is um sort of often looked at as the poorer cousin of vr but it's very different um and, and i think it's it's still got enormous value um uh, when you're actually shooting um, 360 degree film, you can't be in the room. So you know, from a from a directorial perspective, um, it's very close to theatre. So you have to you have to set up the scene, you have to rehearse the scene, and then you have to play out the scene. Uh, um, and then only recently you've been able to review the scene um, there and then. Otherwise, you had to kind of just go almost like. Um, traditional uh, uh, celluloid film you'd lock lock it and then review the rushes um, at 11 o'clock that night so it's a yeah theater um, is, a, is a great reflection of that I think um, we were taught we had a um, my business partner Claire was talking about it the other night and she was saying that um, it's not a it's not theater in the round because that's kind of what you might equate it to it's almost um, the because it flips the it inverts the relationship so the relationship is then with the the audience becomes the it's the opposite of the round I don't know what you would call that um, I think uh, Dan Kerner who we worked with the donut <laughs> or, or, yeah, I don't know but yeah I don't know whether that answers any question there. it's it's a yeah it's quite a, I think we've talked about this before Katie too like this sort of idea of um, yeah, where, <clears throat> you know, where the sensory nature of the medium sits. I mean, do you want to speak a little bit about that? Yeah, I think, I mean, to me, the kind of, what it boils down to is the body in a way. Um, I think that um, where this medium by its very nature includes your body, right? Just to do anything in it, like the, minim, the, the, the bare minimum, you have to turn your head around, right? Mm -hmm. So you're doing an action, you're doing a movement, and that's kind of, if you're not doing that, I think you're just watching television. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I think when you start with that as your baseline, you're in a really kind of interesting place. And to me, um, as you know, a creative studio, one of the things that you think about when you start to to workshop your ideas and start to craft your narratives is um is how how does your how does your body feel in the space that you're creating? And I think Noni de la Pena, who if you don't know who she is, um, you should look her up. She's an amazing um, VR creator from the States. Um, you can find her under Immersive Journal, I think. Um, she makes documentary VR. But she says this as well. She's, you know, when you start to think about your experience, start by thinking what does it feel like in that space as a, as a person, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think we're all kind of coming back to this idea that we're getting to uh, a media which is all about trying to feel more natural in a way, mm. in a very kind of fundamental way to uh, all those bits of our brain that we don't really you know mm. think about that often but you know does this does this feel like a natural environment it doesn't have to look real but does it feel like it makes sense to me as a person that's kind of what I would would put forward and are there sort of I mean I guess are there ways of thinking I mean that's kind of interesting you talk about fear before and I was just thinking about the NASA space experience you know this stepping out into something that's just not of this world almost you know are there things that you think about um, in relation to the body when you're um, thinking about making these kind of um, experiences? I don't know. Emre, did you want to talk, talk oh, about yeah, sure. space? So, <laughs> um, 
Because virtual virtuality is a spectrum, yeah. right? The interaction methods that we employ and we expect from a user in order for them to have agency inside of that environment is also on a spectrum. So their ability to look around in 360 video is one form of input, but so is this idea of motion map controllers like in the Vive or Oculus Touch. And the things that we look at are essentially um, tailoring that experience to facilitate that input and the freedoms in that environment. So you, and the idea of cinema, for example, is interesting because um, in 360, even in 360 video, the user has complete control over what they see and where they look and what their experience is defined as. And that's something that's quite intimidating for doing um, interaction design. Um, and 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 developing an experience that a user may describe as being positive. So, one of the things that we found, for example, is that um, physical movements now translate to positive and negative experiences. So, a user might just get tired of existing in your VR game, and um, actions that we previously defined as being uh, repetitive mm-hmm. now become tiring, or mm-hmm. actions that we previously thought were um, were mundane now become satisfying. And these are all mapped to um, if something physically feels rewarding to a user. So we've had people, for example, play our, um, our NBL demo for 20 minutes and get you know, stressed out and tired and, and sweaty and they take the headset off and say, yeah, that was really good. Like, yeah. doesn't make sense. But um, in terms of player experience design, like this is something of a new territory for us. And for user experience design, this is a really fascinating thing about understanding the reward um, mechanisms associated with physical interaction with digital media. Mm. Did I answer your question? It does. It does. Well, yeah. it opens up a whole big can of worms, really, doesn't it? Yeah. Because, <laughs> um, you know, you're thinking about, as you went back to the, the language of film, you're thinking about a, a new language of of body or a new language mm-hmm. of experience in order to express things so what kind of impact do you guys think that has on can i can i yeah. just make a point there that yeah. cinema um, has a over 100 years has created a, mm. a bunch of learned behaviors or tropes or idioms that mm. we all understand we understand that grammar the grammar has not yet been established for vr um it's really in its infancy and i think that what you know probably attracted all of us to it was the fact that, that it hadn't been written yet and there was still there was um it was almost like you know, we're like frontier people kind of going out and just testing and prodding. Um, VR in particular, um, there's been quite a bit of research into um, which part of the brain it hits. And mm. I'm sure you guys are all aware of this, but um, it really um, really works its best when it triggers the reptilian brain, right, which is the, the brain that is tied to emotion. So Scott mentioned fear um, before. Mm. Fear is a big driver for... Or, or it's um, it, it's triggered by that reptilian brain. So you, when you think about making VR, you might have something that contextually, from a story, you want to communicate. But it's it, it's sometimes better to to really think about what that trigger is. And I think there was um there's a great experience Chris Milk made um for uh, New York Times. The one where they walk, uh, walking over New York or walking, walking the plank? New walking New York. Um, walking New York, I think that's that's what it's called. And um, if you haven't seen it, watch it um, because there's a, there's a moment that it, it triggers the reptilian brain and then you walk out of that experience. You know how you said you walk out of the NBL experience sweating going, it makes your stomach turn um, and you don't really expect it that it's mm. going to come. And then when it comes, it's like, Everything that's been said is kind of locked in. So it's really information uh, transfer and think about how 
that works um, that you do need to you need to think about it more as an experience as opposed to like cinema or the, the film part plays a big part in it but it's more about the feeling that you're trying to create um, in people. Now, I know everyone here is very anxious to talk about like the state of the industry at the moment and we've got um, very little time. But just before we move on, are there works that for you all you feel represent the, the peak of what VR is at the moment or the absolute essential kind of things that people should be trying to experience if they can to get their head around what you're talking about right now? Uh, well, for for me, I think uh, an important part of checking out VR at the moment is trying out the just the difference in platforms and mm-hmm. and seeing the difference between them. Because uh, if you just try, say, the Vive, and you just try that out, like that's awesome, and it's a, it's a great representation of uh, of what VR is capable of. But I think just seeing seeing all the different platforms, like trying out Google Cardboard, the Oculus Rift, and things like that, and seeing the different ones. Um, Gives you a better understanding of kind of what's possible, the limitations of each one, and what might suit what you're trying to achieve as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would totally second that. Absolutely. Um, my two experiences that I would recommend people start with mm. would be um, one of which has no story at all is Tilt Brush, right? Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because that's exactly what we've been talking about. It's completely immersive. This is a, a drawing application mm. in um, in VR. So you have this kind of virtual paintbrush and you can kind of paint these 3D pictures. Um, no story at all, right? Uh, but it is completely engaging and you really, that's actually the app that I have spent the longest in, in VR kind of engaged with. Um, the second one is completely the opposite. It is pure story. Um, and it is notes on blindness, which I think is a fantastic mm-hmm. use of um, yeah, documentary virtual reality. And both of these applications are interactive, and I think they really showcase um, the what you can get from from subtle interaction in a, in a narrative form. Do you know where people can access these? I think suit? notes on blindness is available on gear. On gear, yeah, yeah. So if you go into the gear menu on the Samsung headset, you'll be able to. Get access to that for free, I think, and Tilt Brush, obviously. Yes, Tilt Brush was made by by Google. Oh, great. Tilt Brush is on the main stage today. (laughs) I can't add much more to that, really. I mean, um, understanding that you have all these available like platforms available to you mm. and there's a range of experiences like for me i was a skeptic um against vr originally mm. and i tried um the archery demo for the vive kit <laughs> and i realized that oh okay so this is the future I, um and i was completely sold because this idea that i would have to um I had complete agency over over my success and failure of of being an archer in virtual reality. Uh, so any experience that you try will add to that. It can be um, a three sixty video, or it could be something on the Vive, or something on the Oculus, but it will show you um, or may possibly inspire you that there is this entire new emerging industry. Um, it's not just an offshoot of what we consider to be traditional media. It is a new form of interactive media that we're looking at. Um, so anything from from a, from a 360 video or to, to a motion-mapped game or to just, you know, um, putting on the Oculus with a game that already exists that you play with a mouse and keyboard. I just recommend all of that, basically. Yeah. Same I, again. Um, <laughs> I, the, um, it's funny. Um, I, I would agree with um, Tilt Brush in, in, in particular. When we got the Vive in the office and that was something that everybody played, that and Fruit Ninja yeah okay. it's just awesome it's fantastic to play um who would have thought a little mobile game would uh, translate that well into into vr completely different experience um um 
but so much fun. But I think, um, like you mentioned, there are technical limitations around VR at the moment. And whilst um, people that are making things for VR are talking about the grammar and that being in its infancy, the technology is actually in its infancy as well. Like I, I think we, um, the the project that we've done with um, uh, uh, down downstairs here at Acme, um, we. Um, we used the Samsung Gear, um, uh, and it um, what we were pushing it to do. We have um, there are seven layers of audio. Um, it's a fully interactive experience. Um, so as you move around, um, there's a tunnel vision um, vignette that lets you know that that's the person that you're thinking of. So those hotspots are roving around within inside, inside the application. Sorry, I'm getting about as technical as I get, um, but. Um, it's push. It's putting it that that particular device under so much pressure that we keep getting this issue, and I'm happy to talk about it as a as a almost a failing, in that it keeps overheating because we're asking the CPU to do too much. Um, whereas if you put that exact same experience onto the Vive, it's like a dreamy experience it's in really high def you're able to move around and so we're actually seeing these limitations um across the border and it's really important that that as we kind of we're looking at a lot of the things that are happening around vr i i think um there's a wonderful filmmaker called jessica brillhart um and she does a lot of talks she's she's works out of uh, google over in the states um she's part of the daydream team which is about to be released um, to the public, daydreams a headset. Yeah, yeah, daydreams a headset. It's actually um, mm. it's a it's a system, system. for mm. um, so they've got the jump rig, which is a rig that um, mm. uh, can be three D printed. You go plant it in the it uses GoPro. It's a collaboration with GoPro. It films it. Then they've got a stitching algorithm that allows you to stitch stereoscopic VR in just by putting it through the the, the system, and then you can output and um, uh, for edit. Um, um, Yep. But it's a yeah that's um yeah trying all of those things. A lot of the things that are happening in VR are, are very surface at the moment, and I think we're only starting to get to the point now where we're starting to see some of these things roll out and be really rich and immersive and 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 really life changing. Well, let's talk about what the big drivers are um, for the industry at the moment. Obviously, there's technology. There's one, um, but also you know I guess that the push to content as well, like bearing in mind that people may not be completely across the tech landscape, what are the big things that are pushing the VR industry forward or the industries, let's say, forward at the moment? I mean, whoever. Does anyone want to speak to that? Or? I think it's um, – mm -hmm. so the tech companies are really yeah. obviously hugely invested in this space. Um, yeah. But as a content studio, we find that they are – also the people who are investing in content creation because, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. If they don't have good stuff for their platforms, no one goes out and spends a lot of money on the headsets mm. and, and therefore the whole the whole space kind of dwindles away. Um, so we find that we get a lot of interest from traditional media companies looking to explore the space. So the, the BBC being a good example of a big broadcaster that has been commissioning in VR. I think last year they did eight projects Um in um, which are now I think some of which are released um, to the public and others have just done the festival circuits. Um, but we also find that in terms of, of getting work made, it is the, it's the platforms themselves who are putting cash up for mm. content. 
Um, yeah, I think uh, some of the drivers that we have at Zero Latency are quite a bit different to um, to others. Uh, I guess that the, we're we're tackling two different sort of markets at the moment. One of them being uh, obviously the out of home entertainment um, and setting up in these centres, and it's coming in with uh, the demand is kind of being driven by the new sort of uh, the millennial market, as it's uh, as often referred to, are just aren't interested in traditional forms of entertainment, such as say in America, like they have a lot of bowling alleys and things like that. And that's just like these days people have these insane home entertainment systems and uh, these phones that do all this crazy stuff and then they don't want to throw a bowling ball down an, down an alley. So they see a need for it in terms of just maintaining that um, – that drive the getting people to actually go to a location and you know eat and drink together and things like that. So um, that's where a lot of the demand for it is coming uh, on one okay, side. So you see but, it as uh, like a community development kind of yeah social yeah. movement. Oh, that's that's right. So it's just like because uh, obviously the things like the popularity of uh, Pokemon Go was a really yep. great example of how it's like this is completely unknown demand really that people actually want to go outside and like they still enjoy interactive entertainment but want to do it with other people as well. Um, okay. so yeah, uh, that's, that's where we're seeing, that's where we're seeing a really strong drive. And we're also working in the, uh, training and simulation space as well. And actually it adds a lot of value, like completely outside of the entertainment sphere, um, as well. So that's a, as a, like a, as an income stream or as a developing industry. Uh, yeah, well, at the moment we're doing some work with, uh, like the Australian military, they yeah. want to use it for doing training simulation. Cause obviously a lot of their, um, Oh, that training can be actually quite dangerous and yeah. that's much less preferable. So they'd rather do it in a in a virtual environment. So yep. sorts of upsides there as well. It's interesting. I was in the in middle of nowhere um, in Africa talking to some farmers and that all used VR for training purposes. Mm-hmm. They'd all tried it out. They were wine farmers. And they were just like, <laughs> oh, yeah, we've done that. No worries. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so technology obviously that's the media cycle that we see. We see all oh, this headsets coming out. This, you know, Google are really investing in this. Um, are there kind of, you know, are there things that are underpinning that hype that you guys would like to talk about? I mean, obviously. Can I um, yeah. just before you get into that? The, um, we got I got the guys to dig up some data for today, mm. and they they're expecting that. The VR market by 2020, which is just a little over three years away, is going to be worth 120 billion dollars. Mm. Um, that's just astounding. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's um, that's almost as big as the the game industry, gaming industry. I I just thought I'd throw that cat amongst the pigeons. <laughs> no, that's a good point. Um, the important thing to recognise is that VR has already been around um, for almost 60 years now. Yeah. So the idea is that gamified virtual reality or virtual reality for the purpose of entertainment is um, the new addition to, to, to the presence of virtual reality available to us as, um, as a form of technology. And its market has been quite lucrative previously as well for simulation spaces, for uh, mining companies, uh, mm. deep, deep sea rigs, for example, uh, for NASA, for the military. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's it, the gaming market of it is going to be a massive component. Furniture sales rooms, Airbnb, <laughs> everything, oh, everything else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's driven by it's driven by the market. Yeah. You know, if there's a market there, people will build for it. You know, we're all in the room right here talking about it, mm. which means that there yeah. is an interest um, from people who think that there is an opportunity there. Well, there's a market. There's a bunch of content makers mm. who are interested. How should they go about getting their VR content? 
produced and distributed? It's a tough question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but does anyone want to jump in? <laughs> uh, painfully. Painfully. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it's an emerging technology on emerging platforms that are constantly shifting and an emerging market that is constantly self-correcting due to speculation and hype. Um, so it's, it, it's, it's quite painful, but that's the reason why um, we treat it like it's the frontier because we're out there hacking away the jungle with a machete and trying to find our path. The issue um, issues that you'll face are obviously uh, platform instability, um, engine instability, uh, your ideas may not be compatible with with what the technology can do right now, or your may, your ideas might not be um, t- compatible in in the sense that you're not thinking outside the box enough for virtual reality, um, or even augmented reality or mixed reality. So, yeah, like the way that you should go about it right now is that um, build small, build quick, iterate fast, and then get a sense of the platforms that you're working in, um, and you have to have developers that are across the engines and the technology that you're working with as well. What if you're not a developer, Ray, or if you don't know a lot of developers? How would you how would you start as a filmmaker, not knowing much mm. about the tech landscape, you know, to, to kind of get involved or small steps? There are some really affordable little cameras that you mm. can get. I mean, and, and, you know, if you want to just kind of try something out, you could buy something like a little theta camera, which shoots all around and it's just a little handheld thing. Mm. Um, I don't even know. I think it costs like $300. $280, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so that is, and people actually, people that we know use that for storyboarding purposes yep. and, um, and those sorts of things. So it's a really good little tool to, to just kind of dip your toe in the water. Um, I would add to, to the kind of the technical, um, the technical issues that that you might have developing, you know, th- they are going to be present and maybe you need to make a developer friend. Um, but a lot of the tools are there for free and you can actually have a go yourself. Um, you know, the game engine that we work in, Unity, you, anyone can access that. You don't have to pay for it. It's a personal license. You just, you just, mm-hmm. you can, you can get going and there are tutorials online and, and, you know, I know that seems like, oh God, I've got to learn a new piece of software and stuff, but, but it, it's there for the taking at the moment. Um, the the field is so flexible and malleable that if you're ever going to do it, do it now. I think you know, give it another few years, and you might you might not be so well placed. <laughs> it's quite rewarding just to experiment with as well. Just uh, getting into virtual reality, playing with tool. Unity is a great example. It's um it's an easy tool to pick up, and it is free. So um, yeah, as long as you've got a headset. It's, it is rewarding to start playing with things, playing with your ideas, even if it's just like some white boxes and yeah, stuff exactly. like that. It's um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great place to start. And then, yeah, try and find a developer friend. <laughs> plenty I mean, of communities in, uh, in Melbourne who'd be, who'd be willing to talk to you. So. I think so too. And I think you can do so much with white boxes, you know. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. we've been talking about like the essentials for us being think about what your body feels like in a space. Well, you can do that. You can just create a little space, put mm-hmm. some cubes in it, and then mm-hmm. start to think, well, if my cube was this character or my cube had this action associated with it and maybe that's when you had to have a developer friend but you know you can get started and I think the way to get started is to is to is to go back to imagining what you would feel like in a physical space and that's where I also think that um remembering that we actually have learned a lot of this stuff in different art forms already you know we talked about theater I think immersive theater is kind of one of the the biggest analogs for what we are trying to do in this medium um and just start to think about how you can tell a story using all those tools can I can I just make a comment about story because I think that that is um I I don't want to discourage anybody from exploring VR we're not trying to hold it to ourselves here (laughs) it's um but um I do want to say that there are so many different mediums out there now and there are so many different ways to tell a story. Um, 
I remember sitting with um, Johnny who runs the creative lab up in uh, at Google um, and uh, I was saying to him, oh, you know, if, if, if I could do anything, I would just love to make a, a, a feature film and to see my own feature film in the cinema. And he said to me, you know, there are so many other, why is it that you want to tell a story in that, in that medium and I, I couldn't answer it um, because I run a, basically a technology company that explores where story can be shot through a shotgun through the internet. Like I, I, I think you've got to look at your story and you've got to think about whether it's appropriate to tell it in VR. Does it need to be told in that format or can it be told in a different format and still have this same resonance or emotional resonance with your audience i think that that's a, a question that y- y- we should all be asking about uh, of our work so i think there's a big kind of question or discussion going on at the moment about uh, you know storytelling in vr and whether we can actually tell a story in vr i mean i think people that think that we can't tell a story in vr are maybe have a very narrow view of what story can be yeah. right um we we tell stories in lots and lots of different ways if you go to a, a tourist site and walk around you're still experiencing a story you start to engage with people you start to read little placards all that sort of stuff becomes a narrative so i think that we need to um to think about how narratives exist in a space that would be where i would kind of go back to the basics and mm-hmm. just um and think you know who is my character and essentially your character is your user right they're the ones that are going to no matter how many degrees of freedom you give them, if you want them to have an open world and wander around, you're still going to try and seed a story that they will follow. Um, I think we have to let go of the idea that we're scared of people looking the wrong way. That's what, you know, if if you're scared of people looking the wrong way, make a film, you know, like make them look the right way. Um, In VR, I think you just have to kind of relax that a little bit, but try and also, you know, we we no, my business partner's there um we often talk about like setting the table for the user it's like a dinner party you know you might set some courses out and you know in what order things are going to happen and you try and encourage them to take the steps that you want yeah. to take but you have to really just kind of give over the nervousness that they might not do it right <laughs> every now and then they might eat dessert first yeah, yeah. and that's okay <laughs> maybe it'll be amazing <laughs> composition in vr is a whole new thing yeah because the framing of your shots is built by a th- like an interactive environment. So the way that you use line and shape and color and light um, is completely different now because you just don't have this one screen. You have to have someone, when they look at like the something right of them, to see line, for example, that directs their eye to a different direction and where there's, there might be light or visual feedback mechanisms that make them focus on that. Um, that happened a lot in Earthlight for us. Like we knew that they were going to go up a ladder, for example, the cheapest trick in game design. And so we we, we put a visual milestone for that specific um, area because we knew they were going to look up there. Don't even get onto cutting. Uh, editing, oh. <laughs> editing is a whole new paradigm in, in when it gets to 360 or VR. It's um, getting your head around that is just you don't have the same tools. So like you don't have a frame when you're shooting, you don't have the same tools when you're cutting. So you've got to... You got to look at look at what other people are doing and leverage that. So to move you from scene to scene, you know, whether you rely on the character to move you from scene to scene, or a line of copy that spins you around, or a, fall, a floor falling away. This is one of the thing called line of sight, which is quite old. Um, line of sight is where you say, so "I'm looking at Dan over here," and then I hear a bang behind me. I turn around, I look. No, nothing there. 
spin back around to Dan. He's gone. He's changed. He's morphed into something else. So you can do, you can use that two seventy or you know whatever it is ninety to to draw the. Um, it's that's why it's theatre because you're actually kind of taking somebody's attention, putting them on the side of the stage, and then moving it onto the other side of the stage. Then lights go down. Lights come back up. You've, it's it's the cutting techniques are more like theatre than they are like anything else, yeah. I think. And the other nice thing about interactive VR is that you can wait for those things to happen, right? So you set, you know, you you, you have a set of rules that you're going to implement. So when this person looks away, that's when Dan changes, right? Mm. Um, and we can wait for that to happen, um, which is the, one of the, the most beautiful things about this kind of medium, I think. I'm actually going to have to cut us off. It's been too short. It's been a fascinating um, conversation. So thank you all for coming along. I'd just um, like to ask the audience to give um, our guests a round of applause. And... You have been listening to an Acme podcast. For more recordings, go to soundcloud.com slash acmeonline or the Acme website.